I mostly read public domain books here on Glenn Reads Books to You, and they were written a long time ago, so they're usually racist or sexist or bigoted. But in there somewhere is a story, and uh, that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist. But they might have uh, adult language or adult situations, like, uh, oh, I don't know, making sex. Uh, So that's your warning. But I'm sure you're grown up enough to handle it. Uh, Don't write to me complaining. Oh, God damn it, you're back. Why do you keep coming here? Wanting me to read to you? Uh, don't you, don't you got parents? I thought you looked like an orphan. Welcome to the Glenn Reads Books to You Mansion. God, I hate my new name. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion and not just recording in my basement. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, uh, we're reading The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, a book that a friend of mine, uh, Backy Wop is what he calls himself, asked that I read roughly two years ago, which I just got around to now, and you can find him at versimilitude.us, which I'll put in the notes, because good luck trying to spell that. Uh, Let's learn about the author, F. Scott Fitzgerald, September 24th, 1896, when he was born, he died December 21st, 1940. He's an American novelist, essayist, and short story writer that stole most of his ideas from his wife, Zelda. He is best known for his novels depicting the flamboyance and excess of the Jazz Age, which I'm sure came from his uh, wife, Zelda, a term he popularized in his short story collection, Tales of the Jazz Age, which I'm sure his wife came up with that title. During his lifetime, he published four novels, four story collections, and 164 short stories that he probably stole from his wife's diary. Listen to my previous episode about this. Although he achieved temporary popular success and fortune in the 1920s, Fitzgerald received critical acclaim only after his death and is now widely regarded as one of the greatest American writers of the 20th century. He also stole everything his wife ever said or wrote. So, he's not a good man. The problem with my podcast is pretty much every book I read, the more I learn about the author, I find out that they're all deeply, deeply horrible people. The man who wrote Peter Pan was a pedophile. Uh, So I have that over me. I never knew that when I started this podcast. Want to hear a fun fact? Sure. He had a rocky friendship with Ernest Hemingway. Oh, the macho Hemingway and the urbane Fitzgerald might seem like an odd pairing, but the two authors struck up a fast friendship after meeting in Paris in 1925. Paris, a place that I'll be at around the time that you hear this episode, because I'm traveling again. I'm going to be on a plane forever with my big knees pressed up against someone's seat for hours until I get to Germany, where I hang out with my friends from Germany, and then we go to Paris, and then I go home. Uh, Their relationship was complicated by Hemingway's intense dislike of Zelda Fitzgerald, uh, Jesus Christ, whom he described as crazy, in quotes, and a distraction uh, to her husband's writing. That turns out he actually stole everything she ever wrote. Uh, The literary titans drifted apart during the late 1920s, and Hemingway later bashed Fitzgerald in print on more than one occasion, hopefully for stealing his wife's work. By 1937, Fitzgerald lamented that their friendship was as good as finished. Quote, I talk with the authority of failure, he wrote. Earnest with the authority of success. We could never sit across the same table again. Well, he was a jerk. Don't feel bad for him. So with that, why don't we dive into the third chapter of this story. 
Ah, chapter three. There was music from my neighbor's house through the summer nights. In his blue gardens, men and, and girls came and went like, like moths uh, among the whisperings and the champagne and the stars. At high tide in the afternoon, I watched his guest diving from the tower of his raft or taking the sun huh, on the hot sand of his beach while the two motor boats slit the waters of the sound, drawing aquaplanes over cataracts of foam. On weekends, his Rolls Royce became an omnibus, bearing parties to and from the city between nine in the morning and long past midnight, while his station wagon scampered like a, like a brisk yellow bug to meet all the, meet all the trays. Yeah. And on Mondays, uh, eight servants, including an extra gardener, toiled all day with mops and scrubbing brushes and uh, burp hammers and uh, garden shears, repairing the ravages of the night before. Every Friday, five crates of oranges and lemons arrived from a fruitier hmm, in New York. I don't think anyone calls themselves fruitiers anymore. I might kind of want to pick that up and make that a thing again. Every Monday, these same oranges and lemons left his back door in a pyramid of pulpless halves. Oh, there was a, a machine in the kitchen which could extract the juice of 200 oranges in half an hour if a little button was pressed on 200 times by the butler's thumb. At least once a fortnight, a corpse of Ketiers uh, came down with several hundred feet of canvas and enough colored lights to make a Christmas tree of Gatsby's enormous garden on uh, buffet tables garnished with glistening hordevours. I don't even know how to say that correctly anymore because I'm so used to saying it the wrong way. It's it's hors d'oeuvres, right? Hors d'oeuvres. Hors See, you're not helping me. It's hors d'oeuvres, isn't it? <laughs> it's hors I'm so used to saying hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> hors d'oeuvres. What an excellent French accent. Thank you. Well, we'll be in French soon. In French soon? <laughs> we'll be in the language soon. Uh, we have a thing where we're going to actually go to the Ritz one night, and we're going to all dress up, because Wanda from Germany, uh, with her own podcast, uh, Discover the Night Sky... Damn it, I don't, she hasn't released it yet, so I don't know what her official podcast is called. Learn the Night Sky. Learn the Night Sky, thank you. You're a better friend than I'll ever be. <laughs> uh, Learn the Night Sky, Wanda. Uh, it'll come out soon, someday. Um, uh, she really wants to go to a fancy restaurant, so we're going to go to the Ritz. There's a restaurant there. We're going to dress up real, real nice, and every drink is like 40 bucks. And, uh, and uh, we're just going to hang out and uh, be fancy, fancy people in France. I can't wait. Uh, spiced baked hams crowded against salads of harlequin designs and pastry pigs eh, and turkeys bewitched to a dark gold. Oh, they bewitched those turkeys. In the main hall, a bar with real brass rail was set up and stocked with gins and liqueurs and uh, with uh, cordials so long forgotten that most of the female guests were too young to know one from another. By seven o'clock, uh, the orchestra has arrived. Uh, no thin five-piece affair, but a whole pitful of oboes and trombones and, uh, uh, and uh, saxophones and violas. And, uh, and cornets and piccolos and low and high drums 
Uh, the last swimmers have come in from the beach now and are dressing upstairs. The cars from New York are parked five deep in the drive, and already the halls and salons of verandas are gaudy with primary colors. Ah, uh, the hair short in the strange new ways, and the shawls beyond the dreams of Castile. The bar is in full swing, and floating rounds of cocktails and permeate the garden outside until the air is alive with chatter yeah, and laughter and uh, oh, oh, uh, casual innuendo, uh, yeah, 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 and introductions forgotten on the spot, and enthusiastic meetings between women who have never known each other's names. Ah, the lights grow brighter as the earth lurches away from the sun. That's a way of describing that. And now the orchestra is playing yellow cocktail music. And the opera voices pitches in a, in a key higher. Oh, laughter is easier, minute by minute, spilled with prodig uh, prod prodigality. Let's figure out how to say that. I can't read books for a living if I don't know how to say things. Prodigal, prodigal, agility, prodigality. Fuck it. Tipped out in a cheerful word. The groups change more swiftly, swell with new arrivals, dissolve and form in the same breath. And already there are wanderers, confident girls who weave here and there among the stouter and more stable, become, become for a sharp, joyous moment the center of a group. And then, uh, excited with the triumph, uh, glide on through the sea change of faces and voices of color under the, the constantly changing light. Suddenly, uh, one of the... Oh, uh, uh, you're not supposed to say this word anymore. Uh, Roma? Is it the Romane people? Yeah. Starts with a G. Not going to say it out loud. Not supposed to say that anymore. Okay. <laughs> Thank God my wife's here to possibly judge me. Are you judging me for not saying the That's G word? Turned around real slowly. Yeah, you were really judging in how you did that there. You were very disapproving. Do you want me to say the G word? Is that what you want of this situation right now? What is the G word? For Romane people. Okay, we're done here. And a trembling opal seizes a cocktail out of the I can still say cock. Cocktail out of the air. Dumps it down for courage. And moving her hands like Frisco. Dances out alone on the canvas platform. A momentary hush. Hmm? Yeah, shh, quiet. And the orchestra leader varies his rhythm obligingly for her. And there is a burst of chatter as the erroneous news goes round that she is Gilda Gray's understudy. From the, in all caps, Follies! The party has begun. I believe that on the first night I went to Gatsby's house and I was one of the few guests who had actually been invited. Eh? Yeah, fuck the rest of People are not invited. Uh, oh, they went there. And they got in their automobiles, which bore them out to Long Island. And somehow they, oh, somehow they ended up at Gatsby's door. And once there, they were introduced by somebody who knew Gatsby. And after that, they conducted themselves accordingly to the rules of behavior associated with amusement parks. Sometimes, though, they came and went without having met Gatsby at all. And came for the party with a simplicity of heart that was its own ticket of admission. I had been uh, actually invited, boy, you can't stop rubbing this in, a chauffeur in uniform of Robin's Egg Blue crossed my lawn early that Saturday morning with a surprisingly formal note uh, from his employer. Oh, the honor would be entirely Gatsby's, it said, if I would attend this little party. He cannot stop bragging. Burp. He had seen me several times and had intended to call on me long before, but a, a peculiar combination of circumstances had prevented it. Oh, signed, Jay Gatsby, in a majestic hand. 
dressed up in white flannels. Oh, what a turd. I went over to his lawn a little after seven and wandered round, rather ill at ease among the swirls and eddies of people. Oh, I didn't know. And though here and there there's a face I had noticed on a commuting train, I was immediately struck by the number of young Englishmen dotted about. Oh, they were all well-dressed, all looking a, eh, a little hungry, and all talking in low, earnest voices to solid and prosperous Americans. Oh, I was sure that they were selling something. Eh, it was Englishmen. Bonds, eh, eh, insurance, or eh, automobiles. Oh, they were at least agonizedly aware of the easy money in the vicinity and convinced that it was theirs for a few words in the right key. English. As soon as I arrived, I made an attempt to find my host. But the two or three people of whom I asked his whereabouts stared at me in such a amazed way and denied so vehemently any uh, knowledge of his movements that I slunk off in the direction of the cocktail table, the only place in the garden where a single man could linger without looking purposeless and alone. Yeah, just sit there and just drink. They're just like, oh, that guy's getting to work. I was on my way to get a roaring drunk. Yes, yeah, see, I was right. From sheer embarrassment when Jordan Baker came out of the house and stood at the head of the marble steps leaning a little backward and looking with contemptuous interest down into the garden. Welcome or not, I found it necessary to attach myself to someone before I could begin to address cordial remarks to the passers-by. Hello! Eh? I roared, advancing toward her. My voice seemed unnaturally loud across the garden. I thought you might be here, she responded absently as I came up. I remember you lived uh, uh, next door, too, and she held my hand um, uh, impersonally as a, as a promise that she'd take care of me in a minute. Oh, and I gave an ear to two girls in the twin yellow dresses who stopped at the foot of the steps. Hello, they cried together. Uh, sorry you didn't win. Uh, that was for the golf tournament. She had lost in the finals the week before. Oh, you didn't know who we were, said one of the girls in yellow. But we met you here about a month ago. Uh, you, uh, you dyed your hair since then, remarked Jordan. And I started, but the girls had moved casually on. Their remark was addressed to a premature mood, uh, produced like the supper, no doubt, of a, a caterer's basket. With Jordan's slender golden arm resting in mine, we descended the steps and sauntered about the garden. Oh, sauntering through a garden. A tray of cockatails floated at us through the twilight, and we sat down at a table with Two girls in yellow and three men. Uh, each one introduced us. What, are they, what color are they wearing? I want to know that. Uh, each one introduced us uh, is Mr. Mumble. Uh, do you come to these parties often? I inquired Jordan of the girl beside her. Uh, the last one was uh, the one I met you at, answered the girl in an alert, confident voice. Oh, she, she turned to her companion. Hey, what, wasn't it for you, Lucille? It was for Lucille, too. I like to come, Ugh, Lucille said. I never care what I do, so as I always have a good time. Uh, when I was here, I... Last, I tore my gown on a chair, and he asked me my name and my address. Inside of a week, I, I got a package from a courier with a new evening gown in it. Did you keep it? asked Jordan. Oh, sure I did. I was going to wear it tonight, but it was uh, too big in the bust. Yeah, <laughs> it had to be altered. Oh, it was a gas blue. That's a beautiful color. With lavender beads. That sounds weird. Two hundred and sixty-five dollars. Well, there's something funny about a fellow that'll do a thing like that, said the other girl eagerly. I just said, he's the one in trouble with anybody. Oh, who doesn't? I inquired. Yeah, yeah, Gatsby, somebody told me. The two girls and Jordan leaned together confidentially. Somebody told me that they once thought he killed a man once. Oh, a 
thrill passed over all of us, and the three, uh, Mr. Mumbles, bent forward and listened eagerly. Now, I don't think it's so much that, argued Lucille skeptically. It's more that he, he, was a, he was a German spy during the war. Oh, one of the men nodded in confirmation. I heard that from a man who knew all about him. Grew up with him in Germany. Uh, yeah, assured us positively. Oh, no, said the first girl. It couldn't be that, because uh, he was in the American army during the war. As our credulity switched back to her, she leaned forward with enthusiasm. You look at him sometimes when he thinks nobody's looking at him, and I bet he's killed a man. Well, she narrowed her eyes and shivered. Lucille shivered, and we all turned and looked around for Gatsby. It was a testimony to the romantic speculation he inspired that there he whispers about him from those who found little that it was necessary to whisper about in this world. The first supper. There would be another one after midnight. And now was being served. And Jordan invited me to join her own party, uh, who were spread around the table on the other side of the garden. Oh, and there were three married couples in Jordan's escort, a persistent undergraduate, given a violent, violent innuendo. What is that like? What's a violent innuendo like? Is it, we're just not even like subtle anymore. Just like, ah, when I see you naked. <laughs> and obviously under the impression that sooner or later Jordan was going to yield him up, her person to a greater or lesser degree, instead of rambling, oh, this party had preserved a dignified homogeneity and has assumed in itself the function of representing the staid nobility of the countryside. East egg condescending to west egg and carefully on guard against uh, spectroscopic gaiety. Ah, yeah, let's get out, whispered Jordan, after somehow wasteful and inappropriate half hour. This is too uh, polite for me. We got up, and she explained that if we were going to find the host, I had never met him, she said, and it was uh, making me uneasy. And the undergraduate nodded in a cynical, melancholy kind of way. The bar where we glanced first was crowded. But Gatsby was not there. Oh, we couldn't find him from the top of the steps, and he wasn't in the veranda. On a chance, we tried to, uh, an important-looking door and walked into a high Gothic library paneled with carved English oak and probably transported complete from some, oh, I don't know, ruins overseas. A stout, middle-aged man with enormous owl-eyed spectacles was sitting somewhat drunk on the edge of the great table, staring with unsteady concentration at the shelves of the books. And as we entered, he wheeled excitedly around and examined Jordan from head to foot. Uh, what do you think, he demanded impetuously. Uh, about what? Oh, he waved his hand toward the bookshelves. About, th uh, about that. As a matter of fact, you needn't bother to ascertain. I ascertained. <clears throat> They're real. Uh, the, the books? He nodded. Absolutely real. Have pages and everything. Who had fake books? Was that a thing back then in the 1920s? People just had fake books that you couldn't open? I thought they'd be nice, durable cardboard. Matter of fact, they're absolutely real. Pages. And here, uh, let me show you. Taking out our skepticism for granted, he rushed to the bookcases, returned with a volume of the Stoddard Lectures. See? He cried triumphantly. It's a, it's a bonafide piece of printed matter. Oh, it, oh, it fooled me. This fellow's a regular Belasco. Oh, it's a triumph. Oh, what thoroughness. What realism. Knew when to stop, too. Didn't cut the pages. What? Who cut the pa What is going on? But what, but what do you want? What do you expect? 
He snatched the book from me and then replaced it hastily on the shelf, muttering that if one brick were removed from the whole library, is liable to collapse. I have no idea what's happening in this scene. Who brought you? He demanded. Hey, or did you just come? I was brought. Most people here were brought. Jordan looked at him alertly and cheerfully without answering. Oh, I was brought by a woman named Roosevelt, he continued. I have no idea what's happening in the scene. Mrs. Claude Roosevelt. Uh, do you know her? I met her somewhere last night. Oh, I've been drunk for about a week now, and I thought it might be it might sober me up to sit in a library. Has it? Not a little bit, I think. I can't tell yet. I've only been here, uh, oh, an hour. Uh, did I tell you about the books? They're real. There, and then a big long M dash. Yeah, uh, yeah, you told us. We shook hands with him gravely and went back outdoors. Now there was dancing now on the canvas in the garden. Old men pushed young girls backwards in internal graceless circles. Uh, superior couples holding each other torturously, fashionably, and keeping in the corners. And a great number of single girls dancing uh, individualistically. That's a word. That's a big, long word. Individualistically. Uh, or relieving the orchestra for a moment of the burden of the banjo or the traps. By midnight, the hilarity had increased. A celebrated tenor had sung in Italian, and a, nor a notorious uh, contralto had sung in jazz. And between the numbers, people were doing stunts. What? Like fake punching each other? Or doing like a fake fall from an explosion? All over the garden were happy, uh, vacuous bursts of laughter rose toward the summer sky. A pair of stage twins, who turned out to be the girls in yellow, did a baby act in costume. <laughs> God, I wish I could see this. <laughs> and champagne was served in glasses bigger than the finger bowls. The moon had risen higher, and floating in the sound was a triangle of silver scales, trembling a little to the stiff, titty drip of the banjos on the lawn. Well, I was uh, still with Jordan Baker, and we were sitting at a table with a man about my age and a rowdy little girl who gave way upon the slightest prov uh, provocation uh, to uncontrollable laughter. I was enjoying myself now, and I had taken two finger bowls of champagne, and this scene had changed before my eyes to something significant, elemental, and profound. At a lull in the entertainment, the man looked at me and smiled. Aye, aye. Hey, hey, your face is familiar, he said politely. Were you in the 3rd Division uh, during the war? Why, yes. I was in the 9th Machine Gun Battalion. Now, I was in the 7th Infantry until June 1918. Uh, I uh, knew I'd seen you somewhere before. Well, we talked for a moment about some wet... Uh, gray little villages in France. Evidently, he lived in this vicinity, for he told me that he had just bought a hydroplane and was going to try it out in the morning. You want, you want to go with me, old sport? Just near the shore along the sound. Uh, 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 what time? Yeah, any time that suits you best. I was on the tip of my tongue to ask his name when Jordan looked around and smiled. Having a gay time now? Uh, she inquired. Uh, much better, I turned again to my new acquaintance. Uh, this is an unusual party for me. I haven't even, even seen the host. I live over there, with a big long M-dash in a quote. I waved my hand at the invisible hedge in the distance, and this man, Gatsby, sent over his chauffeur with an invitation. For a moment, he looked at me as if he failed to understand. 
I'm Gatsby, he said suddenly. What? I exclaimed. Oh, I beg your pardon. Oh, I thought you knew, old sport. I'm afraid I'm not a very good host. He smiled understandingly, much more understandingly. Uh, it was mo- it was one of those rare smiles with the quality of eternal uh, reassurance in it. And you may come across four or five times in your life, eh, just four or five times, it faced or it seemed to face the whole external world for an instant, and then concentrated on you with an irresistible prejudice in your favor. It understood you just so far as you wanted to be understood, believed... Uh, in you as you would like to believe in yourself, and assured you that it had precisely the impression of you that, at your best, you hoped to convey. Precisely at that point, it vanished, and I was looking at an elegant young roughneck, a year or two over thirty, whose elaborate formality of speech just missed being absurd. Oh, sometime before he introduced himself, I got a strong impression that he was picking his words with care. Almost at the moment, Mr. Gatsby identified himself Ah, Butler hurried toward him with an information that Chicago was calling on the wire, so he excused himself with a small bow that included each of us in turn. If you, if you want anything, just ask for it, old sport, he urged me. Excuse me, I will rejoin you later. And then he was gone. I turned immediately to Jordan constrained to assure her of my surprise. I expect that Mr. Gatsby would be a florid and copulent person in his middle years. Hey, uh, who is he? I demanded. Uh, do you know? Uh, he's just a man named Gatsby. Uh, where is he from, I mean? Uh, what does he do? Oh, yeah, now you're started on the subject, she answered with a wan smile. Well, he told me once he was an Oxford man. A dim background started to take shape behind him, but at her next remark it faded away. However, I don't believe it. Why not? I don't know, she insisted. I don't, I don't think he went there. Something in her tone reminded me of uh, the other girls. What, the ones that had wore baby outfits and did a little song and dance? I think he killed a man. Oh, back to this. And had the effect of stimulating my curiosity. Oh, I would have accepted without question the information that Gatsby sprang from the swamps of Louisiana or the Lower East Side of New York City. That was comprehensible, but the young men didn't. At least in my provincial inexperience, I believe they didn't. Drift coolly out of nowhere and buy a place on Long Island Sound. Anyhow, he gives large parties, said Jordan, changing the subject with an urbane distaste for the concrete. And I... And I like large parties. Oh, they're so intimate. What? At small parties, there isn't a privacy. The fuck is she... There is a boom of a bass drum, and the voice of the orchestra leader rang out suddenly above the echolada of the garden. Ladies and gentlemen, he cried, at the request of Mr. Gatsby, we are going to play for you Mr. Vladimir Tostoff's latest work which attracted so much attention at Carnegie Hall last May. And if you if you read the papers, you'd know there was a, a big sensation. He smiled with jovial condescension uh, and added, Some sensation, whereupon uh, everyone laughed. The piece is unknown, he concluded lustily, as Vladimir Tostov's, in all caps, Jazz History of the World. 
The nature of Mr. Tofstoff's uh, composition eluded me because just as it began, my eyes fell on Gatsby, standing alone on the marble steps and looking up uh, from his one group to another with approving eyes. Oh, his tanned skin was drawn attractively tight on his face, and his short hair looked as though it were trimmed every day. Oh, I could, I could see nothing sinister about him. I wondered if the fact that he was not drinking helped to uh, set him off from his guests. For it seemed to me that he grew more correct as the fraternal hilarity increased. When the all-caps jazz history of the world was over, girls were putting their heads on men's shoulders in a puppyish, convivial way. Girls are swooning backward playfully into men's arms, uh, even into groups, knowing that someone would arrest their falls. (laughs) But no one swooned backward on Gatsby, and no French bob touched Gatsby's shoulder, and no singing quartets were formed with Gatsby's head for one lick. I beg your pardon. Gatsby's butler was suddenly standing beside us. Miss Baker, he inquired. I beg your pardon, but Mr. Gatsby would like to speak with you alone. With me, she exclaimed in surprise. Yes, madame. She got up slowly, raising her eyebrows at me in astonishment and followed the butler toward the house. I noticed that she wore her evening dress all her dresses like sports clothes. Oh, there was a jauntiness about her movements as if she had just learned how to walk upon golf courses and clean, and clean crisp mornings. I was alone, and it was almost two. For some time, confused and intriguing sounds had issued from a long, many-windowed room which overhung the terrace, eluding Jordan's undergraduate, who was now engaged in an obstacle conversation. Obstacle. I can't believe I'm hung up on this word. I've never heard this word before. Abstrickle. Now, related to childbirth and process associated with it. Moving on, conversation with two chorus girls and who implored me to join him. I went inside. Well, with that, why don't we take a little break and uh, why don't we both go upstairs to my master bedroom. I just redesigned it. It's got a heart-shaped bed that's uh, also a waterbed, which leaks a lot because of all those sharp corners. And uh, I can read to you the latest upcoming romance novels from Penguin Random House Books. Oh, there you are. I've been waiting here for roughly uh, nigh under five minutes, and you're not dressed like anything. Normally you come up here wearing some kind of costume to entice me romantically. As I read to you the latest upcoming romance novels from Pendle, uh, Random House Books, but uh, you just, you just dress, like a, dress like a normal person. Uh, you're handing me a book. The book, uh, Love and Other Scams by Philip Ellis. Uh, all right, fine. Uh, she wants to steal the ring... He wants to steal her heart. You are cordially invited as two con artists fake date their way into the poshiest wedding in town. Single, broke, and about to be ejected from her London flat, sounds really fancy, Cat feels left behind by her friends, who are all either married or engaged. At least if she picked a few pockets when the fellow wedding guests get handsy. <laughs> no one's the wiser. 
No one. That is, except for her favorite bartender, Jake, who has his own less-than-legal side hustle. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, when she's unceremoniously fired and roped into bridesmaid duties for best uh, frenemy Louisa, Cat uh, can't help but notice that Louisa's prices diamond engagement range sure would solve a lot of problems. Probably get it out of a lot of jams. But Cat isn't as skilled as a thief as Jake is, so uh, to pull off the scheme of their lives, they'll have to pair up. From an engagement party on a boat... To the Bachelorette Weekend in Palermo. Cat and Jake play cat and mouse <laughs> with each other in a romantic charade. But who's to say what's real and what's fake? When love and money are on the line. Oh, that's Love and Other Scams by Philip Ellis. It's on paperback, 17 bucks. Coming out March 14th from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Bookshop.org, Hudson Booksellers, Powell's Target, and Walla. Oh, you stole my ring right off my hand. <laughs> you little scamp. <laughs> I'll see you back downstairs. We can finish reading the rest of this chapter. Well, there you are. Why don't you get yourself settled? Uh, you gonna give me back that ring? Eh? No? Alright, fine. The large room was full of people. One of the girls in yellow was playing the piano, and beside her stood a tall, red-haired young lady from a famous chorus, engaged in a song. Oh, she had drunk a quantity of champagne. <laughs> and uh, during the course of her song, she had decided ineptly that everything was very, very sad. She was not only singing, she was weeping, too. <clears throat> Whenever there was a pause in the song, she filled it with gasping, uh, broken sobs, and then took up the lyric again in a quavering soprano. All oh, the tears coursed down her cheeks, not freely, however, for when they came into contact with her heavily beaded eyelashes. They assumed a uh, uh, inky color and uh, pr uh, pursued the rest of their way in slow black rivulets. A humorous suggestion was made that she sing the notes on her face. <laughs> yeah, isn't that fun? Whereupon she threw up her hands, sank into a chair, and went off into a deep uh, sleep. Oh, she had a fight with a man who says he's her husband, explained the girl at my elbow, and I looked around. Uh, most of the remaining women were now having fights with men uh, said to be their husbands. Even Jordan's party, the quartet from East Egg, were rent asunder by dissension. One of the men was talking with curious intensity to a, a young actress, and his wife, after attempting to laugh at the situation in a dignified and indifferent way, broke down entirely, resorted to flank attacks. At intervals... She appeared suddenly at his side like an angry diamond, an angry diamond, and hissed, you promised, into his ear. The reluctance to go home was not confined to wayward men. The hall was at present occupied by two deplorably sober men and their highly indignant wives. All the wives were sympathizing with each other in slightly raised voices. Uh, uh, whenever he sees them having a good time, uh, he wants to go home. <laughs> Never heard anything so selfish in my life. Ah, we're always the uh, first ones to leave. So are we. Well, we're almost the last tonight, said one of the men sheepishly. The orchestra left half an hour ago. In spite of the wives' agreement that such malevolence was beyond credibility, the dispute ended in a short struggle, and both wives were lifted, kicking into the night. Burp, as I waited for my hat in the hall, the door of the library opened, and Jordan 
Baker and Gatsby came out together. Oh, he was saying some last word to her, but the eagerness in his manner tightened abruptly into formality as several people approached him to say goodbye. Jordan's party were calling impatiently to her from the porch, uh, but she lingered for a moment to shake hands. I've just heard the most amazing thing, she whispered. How long were we in there? Why, about an hour. Oh, it's simply amazing, she repeated abstractedly, but I swore I wouldn't tell it, and here I am tantalizing you. (laughs) She yawned gracefully in my face. (laughs) Please come and see me. Phone book under the name Mrs. Sigourney Howard, my aunt. She was hurrying off as we talked, and a brown hand waved jauntily salute as she melted into her party at the door. Rather ashamed that on my first appearance I'd stayed so late, I joined the last of Gatsby's guests who were clustered around him, and I wanted to explain that I'd hunted for him early in the evening and had to apologize for not having known him in the garden. Uh, don't mention it, he enjoyed me eagerly. Don't, uh, don't give it another thought, uh, old sport. The familiar expression held no more familiarity than the hand which reassuredly brushed my shoulder. Oh, and don't forget, we're going up in the hydroplane tomorrow morning uh, at 9 o'clock. Then the butler behind his shoulder, Philadelphia wants you on the phone, sir. All right, in a minute. Uh, tell them I'll be there. Good night. Uh, uh, good night. Good night. He smiled, and suddenly there seemed to be a pleasant significance in having been among the last to go, as if he had desired it all the time. Good night, old sport. Good night. But as I walked down the steps, I saw that the evening was not quite over. Fifty feet from the door, a dozen headlights illuminated, bizarre and tumultuous scene. In the ditch beside the road, right uh, right side up, but violently shortened on one wheel, rested a new coupe, which had left Gatsby's drive not two minutes before. The sharp jut of a wall accounted for the detachment of the wheel, which was now getting considerable attention from half a dozen curious chauffeurs. However, uh, as they left their cars blocking the road, a harsh, discordant din from those in the rear had been audible for some time and added to the already violent confusion of the scene. A man in a long duster had dismounted from the wreck and now stood in the middle of the road, looking from car to tire and from tire to the observers in a pleasant, puzzled way. See, he explained, it went in a ditch. The fact was infinitely astonishing to him, and I recognized first the unusual quality of wonder, and then the man... It was late patron of Gatsby's library. Uh, How'd it happen? He shrugged his shoulders. I know nothing whatsoever about mechanics, he said decisively. But how did it happen? Uh, Did you run into the wall? Don't ask me, said Owl Eyes, washing his hands of the whole matter. I know very little about driving. Uh, Next to nothing. It happened. And that's all I know. Well, if you're a poor driver, you ought to try to drive at night. But I wasn't even trying, he explained indignantly. I wasn't even trying. An odd hush fell upon the bystanders. Uh, do, do you want to commit suicide? <laughs> you're, uh, you're lucky it was just a wheel. A bad driver, not even trying. Uh, you don't understand, explained the criminal. I wasn't driving. There's another man in the car. The shock that followed this declaration found voice and sustained, ah, that's a bunch of H's with dashes, as the door of the coupe swung slowly open. The crowd, it was now a crowd, stepped back involuntarily, and when the door had opened wide, there was a ghostly pause. Then, very gradually, 
part by part, a pale, dangling individual stepped out of the wreck, pawing tentatively at the ground with a large, uncertain, uh, dancing shoe. Blinded by the glare of the headlights and confused by the incessant groaning of the horns, the apparition stood, uh, swaying for a moment before he perceived the man in the duster. Uh, "'What's matter?' he inquired calmly. "'Did we run out of gas?' "'Look!' Half a dozen fingers pointed at the amputated wheel. He stared at it for a moment and then looked upward as though he suspected it had dropped from the sky. "'It came off!' someone explained. He nodded. At first, I didn't notice we'd stopped. A pause. Then, taking a long breath and straightening his shoulders, he remarked in a determined voice, I wonder if you'd tell me where there's a gas line station? At least a dozen men, some of them a little better off than he was, explained to him that the wheel and the car were no longer joined by any physical bond. Back out, he suggested after a moment. Put her in reverse. Yeah, but, the, uh, but the wheel's off, he hesitated. No harm trying, he said. The caterwauling horns had reached a crescendo, and I turned away to cut across the lawn toward home. I glanced back once. Uh, A wafer of a moon was shining over Gatsby's house, making the night fine as before, and surviving the laughter and the sound of his still-glowing garden. A sudden emptiness seemed to flow now from the windows and the great doors, endowing uh, with a complete isolation the figure of the host who stood on his porch with his hand up in formal gesture of farewell. Reading over what I've written so far, I see I have given the impression that the events of three nights several weeks apart were all that absorbed me. On the contrary, uh, they were merely casual events in a crowded summer, and until much later they absorbed me infinitely less than my personal affairs. Most of the time I worked, in the early morning the sun threw my shadow westward as I hurried down the white chasms of lower New York to the probity trust. Oh, I knew the other clerks and the young bond salesmen by their first names and lunched with them in dark, crowded restaurants on little pig sausages yeah, and mashed potatoes and coffee. I even had a short affair with a girl, hey? who lived in Jersey City and worked in the accounting department. But her brother began throwing mean looks in my direction. So uh, she went on her vacation in July and I let it blow quietly away. I took dinner, usually, at the Yale Club. For some reason, it uh, was the gloomiest event of my day, and then I went upstairs to the library and studied investments and securities. We've gone, what, back in time? We're, we've left the accident scene, and now we're just kind of talking about his life in New York. Uh, investments and securities for a conscientious hour. Oh, there were generally a few rioters around, but they never came into the library, so it was a good place to work. Uh, After that, uh, if the night was mellow, I strolled down Madison Avenue past Old Murray Hill Hotel and over 33rd Street to the Pennsylvania Station. I began to like New York, the racy, adventurous feel of it at night, eh, and the satisfaction that the constant flicker of men and women and machines gives to the restless eye. Oh, I like to walk up Fifth Avenue and pick up romantic women from the crowd and imagine that in a few minutes I was going to enter into their lives. Ah, but no one ever, no one disproved. Uh, Sometimes, in my mind, I followed them to their apartments, creepy, on their corners of hidden streets, and they turned and smiled back at me before they faded through a door into warm darkness. This man is a creep. At the enchanted metropolitan twilight, oh, I hung a haunting loneliness sometimes, and I felt it in others. Poor young clerks who loitered in front of windows, waiting until it was time for solitary restaurant dinner. Oh, young clerks in the dusk, waiting the most poignant moments of their life 
uh, at night. And again, at 8 o'clock, when the dark lanes of the 40s were five deep with throbbing taxi cabs uh, bound for the theater district, I felt a sinking in my heart. Forms leaned together in the taxis as they waited, and voices sang. And there was laughter, huh? Yeah, from unheard jokes and lighted cigarettes outlined unintelligible, 70 gestures inside, imagining that I, too, was hurrying toward gaiety and sharing their intimate excitement. I wished them well. Uh, for a while, oh, I lost sight of Jordan Baker, and then in the midsummer, I, I uh, eh, found her again. At first, I was flattered to go places with her because uh, she was a golf champion, and everyone knew her name. Uh, then it was something more. I wasn't actually in love, uh, but I felt a sort of tender curiosity. The bored, haughty face uh, that she turned to the world concealed something. Most affections conceal something eventually, even though they don't in the beginning. And one day I found what it was. When we were on the house party together up in Warwick, she left a borrowed car out in the rain with the top down and then lied about it. And suddenly I remember the story about her that uh, had eluded me uh, that night at Daisy's uh, at her first big golf tournament. There was a, a row that nearly reached the newspapers, uh, a suggestion that she had moved her ball from bad lie in the semifinal round to the thing approaching proportions of a scandal and then uh, died away. A caddy retracted his statement, huh? And the only other witness admitted uh, that he might have been mistaken. The incident and the name had remained together in my mind. Jordan Baker instinctively avoided clever, shrewd men. And, and now I saw this is because she felt safer on a plane where any divergence from a code would be thought impossible. She was incurably dishonest. She wasn't able to endure being at the disadvantage, and given this unwillingness, I suppose uh, she had begun dealing in subterfuges when she was very young in order to keep that cool, insolent smile uh, turned to the world and yet satisfy the demands of her hard, jaunty body. It made no difference to me. Uh, dishonesty in a woman uh, was a thing you never blamed deeply. I was casually sorry, uh, and then I forgot. Oh, it was on that same house party that we had a curious conversation about driving a car. Uh, it started because uh, she passed so close to some workman uh, that our fender flicked a button on a one-man's coat. You're a rotten driver, I protested. Either you ought to be more careful or you ought to drive at all. Yeah, I I'm careful. No, you're not. Well, all the people are, she said lightly. What's that got to do with it? Keep out of my way, she insisted. It takes two to make an accident. Suppose you met somebody just as careless as yourself. Well, I hope I never will, she answered. I, I hate careless people, and that's why I like you. Her Gray, sun-strained eyes stared straight ahead, but she had deliberately shifted our relations, uh, and for a moment I thought I loved her. But I am now uh, burp, slow-thinking, and full of interior rules that act as breaks on my desires, and I knew at first that I had to get myself definitively out of that tangle back home. I'd been writing letters once a week and signing them, Love, Nick! And all I could think of was uh, how, when that certain girl played tennis, a faint mustache of perspiration appeared on her upper lip. Ugh. Nevertheless, there was a vague understanding that had to be tactically broken off before I was free. Uh, everyone suspects himself of at least one of the cardinal virtues, and this is mine. I am one of the few honest people that I have ever known. Wow, what a dick. 
Well, with that, why don't we uh, retire to the smoking room, where we can review what the hell we just read. Well, there you are. Are you going to give me back my ring? Huh? Eh? No? You're not going to give me back? Fine, I'll explain to my wife that a thief stole my ring in my master bedroom. Ugh, the birds. Okay, well, um, let's recap what we just read. Oh, sweet Nick talks about how he, how involved Gatsby's parties are, and uh, how he seems to have them, oh, every goddamn weekend. Uh, he was invited, unlike everybody else, he was invited, uh, but Jordan Baker was still there anyway, he's looking all bored. Uh... Some drunk guy can't shut up about Gatsby's books. Uh, apparently, there was a time in history where people just filled their bookshelves with cardboard, or you couldn't open them and read them. Uh, Nick and Jordan are hanging off the table with a quiet guy and a loud woman. Turns out the guy's Gatsby, huh? And he's young and good-looking. Gatsby has got to answer the phone a couple times, and Jordan comes back and says they had a private conversation with Gatsby and a lot of juicy secrets. Oh, but she can't tell. Come hang out with me later, she says. And he does, and kind of gets a crush on her. Uh, Gatsby uh, takes a special interest in Nick, even saying goodbye to him when the party's over. And then uh, Nick sees a car crash uh, with the weird book guy, of all people. And the book guy doesn't seem to care what the hell happened. He keeps saying, like, I'm a man of letters. I don't know about automobiles. So that's stupid. Nick talks about uh, his work at Probity Trust. Nick kind of veers off into that for a while, uh, which is uh, what his day's like in general, and he's been spending his time with Jordan Baker. Uh, and he brings up a story about Jordan uh, moving a golf ball during a game, decides that that's dishonest. And she says she's careless, and she also, by the way, hates careless people. But she likes him uh, because he's honest. Uh, and he starts to get a crush on her. He has to remind himself that... Uh, uh, that she's Trouble City. And also he reminds himself that he's the most honest man he's ever known to himself. Uh, what's good? It's well written, but most of it's written by this guy's wife. What sucks? Most of this is written by this guy's wife, and she won't get any credit for it. Uh, what do we learn? Nick makes it clear uh, that the elaborate parties are over the top to fill the emptiness of all these shallow people. Uh, Gatsby's been throwing them every weekend in an attempt to draw in Daisy, or at least draw in Nick, or any of Daisy's friends, to get Daisy to show up. Uh, the drunk guest, uh, he plays more of a role than you'd expect with how annoying he is. Uh, he's the only guest from Gatsby's party that shows up to his uh, funeral at the end of the book, which you're not supposed to know about yet, but you're going to find out later. Uh, he's weird. He's just a weird guy. Uh, he also is the only one that points out something about Gatsby being real, his books, and also his death being something real. So that's kind of the carryover for that. Uh, it's another uh, funerals of facets of reality, meaning you can't escape death. He's also involved in a car accident that foreshadows the car accident that'll happen later in the book, which you're not going to know about now, obviously, but you're going to find out later. And, uh, and like the drunken person who kills Myrtle Wilson, I don't care if these are spoilers. If you don't know this already, then it's your own damn fault. The movies have been made about this. You should know already. Uh, the drunk guest is also oblivious to the seriousness of what happened. Uh, mysterious phone calls is something that happens all throughout the book. And in later chapters, we get a hint that it has something to do with shady financial dealings from Gatsby. And, of course, images of the lonely Gatsby uh, struggling with what he wants in a fake world that he's created and put upon himself. 
Uh, learning that network, uh, Nick works in probity trust is a little over the top since probity means having strong moral principles, which is uh, central to Nick's concerns throughout the book. Also, he'll just tell you, I'm the most honest person ever that's been created in the world. So there you go. Enjoy that. Um, and, uh, and I'll enjoy my trip to Germany and uh, France that I'm going to be on around the time that you hear this. Uh, and, uh, and pray that I... Get home safely, because it'd suck if the plane falls in the ocean. i got to swim home with my kids and all our luggage. It's going to be tiring. Thank God the grandfather clock's going off to tell you to go the hell home. Uh, why don't you have somebody else read to you and stop coming here, and I'll see you next week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com, which uh, basically just points you to Mastodon. Why did I go all in with Mastodon? I have no idea. But if you go there, it'll uh, point you to my link tree where you can listen to episodes, which is confusing uh, and meticulous. Uh, but if you want to go to just my link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot ee slash nuzzlehouse it'll uh, point you to all the rest of my shows like uh, glenn reads books to you which you're listening to right now uh just stating the curious mind where my wife and i uh write uh, paranormal smut and then publish it on amazon and also nuzzlehouse's cbs radio mystery theater where we basically create our own episodes of radio mystery theater a show from the 70s uh because they don't make them anymore damn it we want to hear something new Oh, I'm also on Instagram, uh, something that I try to use but dislike, which is uh, Instagram.com slash House Nuzzle. And uh, the lesser now, thanks to uh, Elon Musk, uh, Twitter. Used to be my home, and now I can't stand it, which is uh, Twitter.com slash House Nuzzle. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a nerdling or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's gotta be one left. <laughs> <laughs>